Hello, all you outstanding orchids. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about sustainability, conservation, and nature. I am one of your podcast hosts, Casey, and I am joined by the wonderful Sarah once again. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing all right. Was that our first plant name intro? Orchids? I think so. That's why I chose it. We're, we're diving back into something that last time I used, we're diving into compost today. And, uh, last time I used worms and then I was like, what other living creatures? And I was like, we completely just ignored this whole phylum within our greetings. So orchids, unfortunately were the first, well, I first thought of Venus flytraps cause I've been interacting with them today, but then I couldn't like what a voluptuous Venus <laughs> flytrap. Like it just didn't seem right. Vivacious. So vivacious see there's so many I mean there are better adjectives than outstanding as well but I went for the plant and I'm proud of it well done no it 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 caught me off guard for a second I was like oh where she where's she gonna go with oh I thought because when you started with an o word my brain immediately went to owls oh yeah because I'm still on the owl kick from last week I'm, and I was like no I'm, Casey we did I'm owls. Never gonna be off owl kick yes <laughs> yes we did owls um yeah also you know we gotta dive into those fungi you know there's lots of there's lots of categories of life that we have not yet really delved into we've been very megafauna focused and yeah. it's important to acknowledge all of it out there so how are you this week Sarah I'm doing fine. I cannot think of a single interesting thing to say about my week, though. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, that's I got to hang out with our mutual former coworker, another Sarah, was yes. down. So we we got to hang out last week. So that was really fun. But I felt so bad because she had the absolute worst least Florida vacation weather that oh yeah it's been really cold it was rainy it was cloudy it was chilly literally nonstop the whole time she was here so that was kind of bummer but I think they still had a good time and I was glad to see her it did also mean that I failed my self challenge from last week of going to go oh for your burning owls burning owls I did not get to do that once again because yeah, it was just wet and rainy. And then my next day off after that, it was frigid and I was just like, nope, not doing it. Yeah. I I imagine they were, (laughs) no, I imagine they're hanging their burrows. Our chickens have been like, uh, I'm sorry, what's on the ground? No, no, (laughs) we're indoor birds now. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't complain, I'm sure, compared to what you've had. But for for Florida, it was was definitely gross. Yeah, we had our first big snow. And probably the cool wildlife thing that I have from the week is our pond has been frozen for a little bit, but it is truly frozen over. And there are all sorts of footprints that go right across it in the snow and ginger even walked out on onto the pond, which I did not (laughs) care for, but there's all sorts of different animals that are around. So I definitely saw some rabbit feet. I've seen some little birdie feet in there. So that's kind of cool to see. Okay. So we have homework, Sarah, you, you mentioned that you had issued yourself this challenge personally, but we had issued our listeners some challenges and that was to look up a, a local conservation cause for owls to your particular area. So Sarah, did you do your homework? I sort of did. I didn't go back and do it as thoroughly as I would have liked. 
but we do have an Audubon, I want to say it's just the Center for Birds of Prey. Yeah, the Audubon Center for Birds of Prey. I know at least one person that works there. Cool. Um, but that's nearby. I mean, it's it's kind of the other side of the city. So it's probably like 45 minutes to an hour's drive still away from me, unfortunately. But it is a place that you can go and visit. So I'm going to try to make it uh, a goal to get up there. So not just owls, obviously not owl specific, but still a yeah, cool organization that's... nearby that deals Very at least cool. in part with owls. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you know what kind of owls that they're focusing on, or is it just sort of all birds of prey? No, it's just birds of prey in general. So they do eagles and hawks and things like that as well. That's awesome. I wasn't able, I, I should say I should have spent more time on mine probably too, but I did look up local owl conservation and the Pennsylvania game commission has a couple different projects that they're kind of working on to uh, help preserve several species of owl. One is the barn owl, which we mm. kind of covered a decent amount, but the other one is the short-eared owl. And the short-eared owl is considered a species of special concern within Pennsylvania. So they're not listed federally as endangered or threatened, but their populations are declining mostly because of loss of nesting grounds. They are, I didn't realize kind of that this was more common outside of brewing owls, but they are ground dwelling birds and they are more colonial. So you might actually see a parliament of <laughs> short-eared birds <laughs> or short-eared owls. So um, definitely more to look into for that, but they are considered endangered because of a lot of loss of habitat, which we talked about number one issue for species across the world. And, um, but Pennsylvania is working on a management plan for them. So they are, you know, working with lots of local places, including farmers, I believe, to make sure that they can manage some of those habitats. So, Hey, if you didn't do your homework yet for owls, take a look to see if there's any cool owl conservation going on near you. Cause there are owls near you. All right. Well, thanks, Casey. Thanks for giving us that homework assignment. I am going to up my game a little bit too. I do still want to look more into uh, to see if there are any more specific owl projects around me, but I am excited to check out the Audubon Center for Birds of Prey as well. They're mostly doing like re rehab and re-release and that sort of thing. I also wanted to bring back our homework from a couple of weeks ago before we move on into the discussion because our discussion is on composting again tonight and we had talked about if you are someone who does not currently compost to sort of make your plan and you had given a good challenge to folks who do currently compost to see if they can move that into some sort of group that they might be a part of, whether it's a church group or a workplace, club that they're part of, yeah. or yeah, workplace, something like that, to see if they could get composting going there. And I know you're already doing that, right, Casey? That yeah, was part of the I, reason I that you brought yeah. it up. That's <laughs> why so I issued the challenges because I've already been trying to formulate how that plan works. The one of that we have chickens at. at uh, work. And so one of the things I would like to do actually is to look at like, what can we salvage pre-compost to give to the mm -hmm. chickens? And then the things that we are too far gone would be through composting in a more deliberate sort of way. Cause right now we just throw away too many things in the garbage, even though we have 
a giant compost pile. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have chickens. Well, I, I mean, I also cheated with my challenge because obviously composting was already something that mm-hmm. I had decided to do, but tonight I'll be talking a little bit more. I'll give an update on kind of where I am in my plan. So hopefully if you all are listening and haven't come up with yours yet, maybe this will be that sort of extra encouragement for you to get started because composting was the thing that I was, I kind of spun my wheels on for so long. I'm really excited to to get it going. But uh, before we talk about it, Casey, that was the inspiration for my question for you. And this is maybe a little bit of a weird one, but for a long time, composting just seemed like too big of a challenge to me. And it was something that I really wanted to do. And I was like, man, if I could just like bang, make it happen. Great. I would do it, but it's just, it's too much. I can't make it happen. So Obviously, I've learned that I can make it happen, but if you could sort of like snap your fingers and magically make a sustainability change in your life, is there something that you're like, oh, I would definitely do X, Y, Z? I I was thinking about this question a little bit and I don't have, I think, a great answer for you, but my big, cause I, I, the first thought I had is what are the biggest barriers I have to sustainable changes in my life? And unfortunately, a lot of the barriers for me are financial. Mm-hmm. Um, so like snapping my fingers and giving myself a lot more money <laughs> would, would help me do things like buy energy star appliances or, you know, like be able to upgrade a water heater or whatever. These are things that take a lot of money, even just things like, um, you once talked about your leaf razor, which is a plastic free razor that you use to shave your legs. And I don't do that. So like just having a little bit of extra spending money to have some of those items available to me, I feel like is probably like, it's, it's a bad answer, but it's basically the barrier that I come across most is financial. That's the nice thing about composting is the financial barrier is pretty low, which is why we've done it. Yeah. Uh, No, I think that makes sense. And I think there were kind of two things that I thought of that are sort of the same thing, both having to do with energy, because I think one is an electric vehicle. Oh, yes. Yeah. Since we did our episode or you did the episode on the future of cars, I've been thinking about either a plug in hybrid or, you know, it would be awesome to have an electric vehicle, but the barriers to that electric vehicle, both the cost of the actual vehicle and the lack of infrastructure to keep it charged. So if I could circumvent both of those problems and just have an electric vehicle, that would be awesome. But also energy. I've wanted to do solar panels for so long. Yeah. And especially in Florida, you know, I see all these ads for getting solar with zero cost to you right now, but I don't ever really understand how they work. And I think there still is a lot of cost involved over time, but that's another one that I would love to do. If I could blue sky, no barrier, snap your fingers and make it happen. So that's a good one. Like I said, composting used to be one of these for me. It's not anymore. And if you stick around, we are going to talk tonight about some of the maybe more common concerns that people might have when they're getting involved in composting and hopefully alleviate those concerns for you. So stick around.
Welcome back, everyone. We are ready to dig in a little deeper into composting tonight. I've been so excited about this, honestly, Casey, about this episode, but just about composting in general. And it's the best. (laughs) Well, I mean, the fact that you're so into it has definitely made me get excited about it. So thank you for that. But also I was thinking about it and this really is for me the biggest lifestyle change that I feel like I've maybe ever made. Because when we talk about some of those other things, there are those sustainable swaps that I've made but those are really just sort of a one-time effort, you know, most of the time. There are some things like trying to give up paper towels for cloth napkins or rags and that sort of thing, where there's, sure, there's a a little bit of a continuing challenge, but they're not really that hard of a change to make. Things like getting my hybrid vehicle, even, like my hand was forced for that. I had to do it. You know, my car got wrecked. So it was a now or never or now or 10 years from now type of thing, you know? So I was kind of forced, but again, there's a, the, the cost is really the barrier there. Even things like cutting back on meat weren't that difficult to do. It was something that had just kind of happened naturally. So this is the first maybe big intentional long-term change that I can think of that I've made. So that's really exciting for me and I feel really good about it. So again, if you're listening and not sure, please do this. Please do this along with us. I think it's going to be fun. So my plan so far where I've, I've updated from when we did our first composting episode is that I have started collecting my materials which is actually one of the things that was initially a concern for me, which we'll talk about later on tonight, but I've started collecting. I have both greens and browns going right now, and I've selected a spot for my compost tumbler. I had already decided that I was going to do a tumbler, and I have a couple of options picked out. Casey, you mentioned cost not being as much of a barrier for composting. And <laughs> that certainly can be true. You can you can have a compost pile that's free. You can DIY. Yeah, it depends on how you approach bins. it. Yeah, I'm gonna pay a little money. <laughs> I'm gonna spend not a not a lot. Um, I, I found bins ranging anywhere from like fifty bucks to five hundred bucks, and I'm gonna be going for the lower end uh, of I was that. Say, for I don't sure. think the five. <laughs> if, if you're paying five hundred dollars for a compost, like I don't know what this compost bin looks like, but. <laughs> if you have that sort of expendable money, maybe you could do two sustainable slots for the price of one. Um, yes. yeah, so there's lots of ways to do it. Yes. But I am going to pay a little bit for, to, to alleviate some of the other concerns that I have. Sure. And I'm just more comfortable. I'm not confident enough in my own DIY abilities or my time and energy to get it done that I'm willing to pay a little bit for it. But I've pretty much, I just have to pick my bin and buy it. And then I'm pretty much ready to go and I'm ready to just jump in and do it. And I'm so excited to get started. But I do know that there were a lot of questions and concerns that held me up for a long time. So that's what we're going to touch on tonight. We'll see how fast we can go through these. Casey, if you have anything else that pops in your head as we're talking, go for it. I think the first two that we're going to talk about are maybe 
the two that I would guess that would be the barriers for most people. And I started with the one that was probably the biggest concern for me, which is I'm afraid of attracting pests. If I compost, I'm going to attract, and I put that in quote, pests. These are just creatures that are living in the world with us, but we will term them as pests, animals that we don't want hanging around in our compost. So this could be, you might be thinking of animals like rodents or raccoons or things like that, that might be hanging around in your outdoor pile. For me, what I was actually more concerned with were uh, insects that might hang around indoors when you're collecting your scraps. Cockroaches in particular are not my favorite thing, oh, but yeah. also things like flies and that sort of thing that you might attract indoors. Casey, have you ever had this problem in your composting? Have you ever had anything unwanted hanging around your compost? Uh, when we had our proper compost bin, if you haven't listened to part one, you should listen to the introduction to composting because I talked about when we had kind of our more formal system, when we lived in our own home, not really. I mean, there was one time that we threw away basically a whole cantaloupe, which hurt a lot of my soul. And so I, I tried to cut in half because it's going to break down faster if it's in smaller bits. And that was too much of the greens, too much of something that insects were attracting it to. But in my experience, like a lot of times these things sort of solve themselves intuitively. You're like, ah, there's a bunch of cantaloupe attracting flies. I'll just cover it in dead leaves. And that yep. basically solves the issue. Now that we live with my dad, um, kind of the two folds to, so indoors, we had our lovely compost bin, which I love very much, but it was packed away in boxes. So for a little bit, we didn't have it there and we we're just sort of using an open container and that we have mice around. We've got bugs that definitely like skeeved my dad out a little bit by having just, even if it had just been sitting there for two days, he's like, you need to take that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we don't have a formal pile here, we just sort of throw it in a literal pile, um, of food scraps in debris alongside the sort of like, it's not a woodland edge because it's in suburbia, but like. <laughs> It's the edge of the yard. Yeah. It's a tree line. Um, and definitely because it's not some sort of formal pile, we definitely get like raccoons and stuff that are like, this is mine. Thank you very much for that. Taking that home, but we don't worry about it because it's really far away. So yeah. So that works out and that might be a solve for some of you listening, but yeah, I think Casey actually hit on a bunch of good points there, which, and one of which is that this might be a problem that pops up at some point, but it's really got a really easy solution. And you'll find that for most of these things, some of these things might arise and it's usually going to be a really simple adjustment adjustment to get yourself back on track. So starting with the, the indoor stuff, the solution for me, it, because I know that I would worry about it, even if it were not a big deal. I'm so paranoid, especially living where I'm living. I'm keeping my stuff in the freezer. So I have a bag where I'm storing my food scraps and that works really well for me. But honestly, probably if you have a good airtight container, whether you buy yourself a specific compost scrap collector or you just have a good airtight bucket or something like that, 
you're going to be fine. And if you do have something that's particularly messy or smelly, you can just go put it outside in your pile sooner rather than later. But for me, I'm going to uh, keep it in my freezer and check that takes care of one of my concerns right there. I'm not likely to attract pests that way. When you do put those food scraps outside, like Casey said, you just want to make sure that you cover them up. Don't throw your food scraps right on top of the pile. That is going to be easy pickings and attractive for your animals outdoors. So just bury it down in that pile and that's going to help it break down more quickly as well. Other just general compost maintenance stuff will help keep some of those animals at bay too. So if you have things like mice that are looking to make homes in your compost pile, if you go out and turn that pile every once in a while, just stir it up a little bit, that's not going to be a place where they're going to want to nest or hang out. If you've got a nice big pile or bin going, the heat that it generates is probably going to deter those rodents as well and keep them away. So simple little things that you can do. Also using a bin, if you're you're really concerned about things like raccoons or mice, if you put it in a bin, that's going to help keep them away too rather than just an open pile. For those smaller things like bugs outside, I mean, you're going to have some bugs around your compost. That's and that's where the bugs live. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad thing. Like if you're seeing some bugs, they're probably helping for mm-hmm. the most part to, to break that stuff down. If you've got like swarms and you have a breeding ground going on uh, in your bin, then you might want to try to reduce some of the moisture could be one possible cause of that. So just add in some of those brown materials and that might help help cut down on things. Some people have also said for their bins, compost bins are going to have holes in it to allow for that airflow, that aeration. Oxygen is one of those important compost ingredients, but you can do, do something like put mesh over those holes as well if you feel like they're big enough to allow mice or other things like that in there too. So lots of simple solutions to help keep some of those unwanted visitors at bay, but also don't get too hung up on if you see a few bugs in your compost outdoor compost pile, like that's okay. If you're freaked out by the couple of bugs in your compost pile, go listen to our insect apocalypse episode where we talk a little bit about how to empathize more with these animals and what's going on with them. But I really, I thought it was going to be a bigger issue than it was. And it, it really wasn't. I mean, you're way more likely to attract animals to just a random leaf pile than you are to your compost pile. In Mm -hmm. my experience, like I'm more likely to find a bunch of mice living in the leaf pile than I am in the compost bin. Yeah. And I will say too, there are going to be special circumstances depending on where you live, but there's so much help out there. Like you, you don't need to know everything to get started, but it's also really good to know how much, how many resources there are out there. Cause there are things like, so there are fire ants where I live. What (laughs) happens if you get fire ants in your compost bin? There's no reason for me to think that that's going to happen, especially, I mean, I'm going to get a tumbler that's up off the ground anyway, but I've came across that online where people are like, oh, I have fire ants. And there are solutions uh, for how to handle those types of things. So whatever, whatever trouble you might find yourself 
in there are going to be lots of resources there to help you out. But that's some good general ones in terms of insects and rodents shouldn't be a big concern for you. The next potential hang up for some people is the smell that their compost bin is going to be too smelly. So Casey, how would you describe, <laughs> this is a weird question, how would you describe the smell of compost? How should it smell? So th- especially the finished compost, because I'll tell you when we put that giant cantaloupe, it smelled like rotting cantaloupe, <laughs> um, which is why we had Logical. bugs. Right. But the the actual smell of compost itself, and this is going to be a weird answer. To me, it smells like spring. If you have ever been a gardener or had a grandparent that was a gardener and they like cut open a bag of, of soil, that's especially mm-hmm. like wet soil. That's what it smells like. Like, I mean, my dad has a garden center. So I remember walking out of, like, I have a very visceral memory of walking out of elementary school and smelling the compost and the mulch mm-hmm. and all of that and being like, oh, and all of my classmates be like, oh, gross. Cause it was, it was a very overpowering smell, <laughs> but to me, it was like a very like pleasant, like home smell. And so yeah. it's, it's, I think it's pleasant. It's earthy. It's not, uh, it, it shouldn't smell like rotting things at the end of the day. Like that's just not what it should be sinking in. I will say when it is sitting on your counter and you have a bin and you've put a bunch of eggshells in it. If you let that sit for a while, it's going to smell like rotten eggs inside that compost bin. So you've got to take it out. <laughs> and then once it's in the bin with all the browns and everything, you don't really have to worry about it. Yeah. If you're worried about like your indoor food scrap bin smelling, take it out, take it out more often. That's going to be your solution for that. It, or it keep will... it in the freezer. <laughs> or keep it in the freezer. You will have to take it out the same amount of times you would have to take the garbage out. Yeah. Like think about like, oh, my garbage got smelly, but my garbage bag's only half full. Well, now you've got a compost bin. You don't have to worry about a plastic bag being wasted. And it's going to, in, in ours, our compost bin is covered. So it gets smelly. We don't really smell it until it gets too much inside there and the lid's propped open. And then we have to go take it out because we're forced to. (laughs) But in terms of your outdoor compost bin, yeah, I think the way that you described it, Casey, is, is pretty much what I was reading about online, literally everything that I read describes compost as a pleasantly earthy smell. So in my mind, like, okay, it it smells like dirt. Yes. Um, So you shouldn't have to worry too much about your smelly outdoor compost bin other than, as you were saying, Casey, right after you've dumped fresh stuff in it. So if you're going out to turn your compost or just to look and see how it's doing and, and checking on it and it stinks, there probably is something that you need to adjust. And again, it's usually pretty easily fixable. So Casey, in our first episode, we kind of talked about the main ingredients, if you will, for composting. Can you remind us? We've already mentioned a few of them, but what are those four ingredients? Uh, Greens, which is the food scraps, the wet stuff. Mm -hmm. Generally what I would consider the smelliest part of the mm-hmm. compost. Then there's the browns, which is what I think of as the thing that soaks up the moisture and the stink from the greens. And that's paper scraps and dried leaves and um, stuff that takes some of the moisture out of the compost pile. And then oxygen, you talked about having air holes in it. Um, that is what makes it less uh, 
like methane emitting basically than mm-hmm. putting it in the landfill and a little bit of water. Yep, absolutely. And then of course your microbes and all of that are the ones doing the work of breaking everything down, but they need those components to do it. So if everything's working the way it should and everything's in good balance, you shouldn't have to worry about a smell. However, if your compost smells like it's rotting or like rotten eggs in particular, that is strongly suggestive that your compost pile has gone anaerobic. So there's not enough oxygen getting through. So the aerobic bacteria are not doing their thing and anaerobic bacteria have taken over and they apparently, according to the internet, produce hydrogen sulfide as a byproduct when they are breaking down these organic materials. Fix for that, add in oxygen. How do you do that? Turn your pile, just rotate your pile. Easy solution. Rotting smells might also come from those food scraps like you talked about, Casey. So just making sure that we're burying those food scraps again. Also chopping up your kitchen scraps and burying them in the pile will help. Chopping those scraps is going to help to help them to break down more quickly. If your pile smells like ammonia or like more like sewage, that might be a sign that you're Green materials to brown materials are a little bit out of whack. We talked last time how you will find numbers, you'll find suggested ratios, you'll find different suggested ratios depending on who you're talking to. So don't worry too much about a specific ratio, but if you are getting a smell, uh, it may mean that you have too much green stuff in comparison to brown stuff. So just add in a little more brown stuff to try to get rid of that smell. I I think the the more I'm thinking about this conversation we're having, it reminds me that so much of nature is about being present. So like when you are caring for a garden or a houseplant or your compost pile, it's about listening to the signs that nature is giving you. And for compost piles, it's pretty clear. Like it's talking to you. It's saying like, oh, I'm very stinky. That means you need to do something. And a lot of times the thing that makes the most sense to you is the solve for it. And that's again, why I like composting as well. It doesn't take any sort of expert level that you shouldn't be weighing out your greens versus Mm -hmm. browns. I'm like, if you're doing that, maybe that brings, if that brings you joy, fine. Right. (laughs) If that's what you want to do. Great. (laughs) If that's, if that's what you have time for, I don't. Um, but if it, you know, more power to you, if you do, But for me, it's like, it's something that I, it's just a habit I can get into. And when things change, like this is obviously not a piece of furniture. This is not, um, because we're not weighing things out. It's not exactly a formula. Mm -hmm. It's just like reading the pile and being like, Oh, it's smelly or whoop. I can see half a cantaloupe and the bugs (laughs) can see it too. So I should cover it up. And when I think about the greens as, as the wet stuff and the, the browns as the stuff that soaks up the moisture, it, that to me like is a very simple sort of solution-based um, approach. So, And I think kids can get into it too, because again, this is kind of intuitive. It's pretty easy as far as like what the solutions to these things are. Turn the pile, add more of one thing, less of another. Like it's I, I promise you can do it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I honestly think like, that's what I had to 
switch in my mindset to be able to do this because I am sort of a methodical person and I mm-hmm. like rules and I like to be told what to do. And here's exactly how this is going to work and like step-by-step instructions. And I want to really know everything that I'm going to do before it happens. Like that's kind of the way that my brain wants it to be. And so that's why I would look at this and just get so overwhelmed. And so having that switch to like, oh yeah, this is nature. Like this is a natural process. There's like, this is going to happen. Like that's what made me go from being, oh, I can't do this to I'm so excited to be a part of this. You're not going to screw it up. Like really like the worst thing that could happen is that you let it go a really long time and there's a smelly pile of things in your, your yard. That's not that high of consequences, especially when you can solve it by throwing grass clippings on it or something, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. just, there's solutions to it. This might be a bad question for you because I know that you're not someone who likes to be in the kitchen very much, but are, do you prefer baking or cooking? I actually prefer cooking to baking. Really? Okay. Which is weird. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's that reminded me of, well, I I think I see where you're going. And the the only reason that I prefer cooking to baking is because I, I don't really eat that much. Oh, okay. It's the result that drives me, but yeah. So are you talking about the kind of the rigidity of the recipe? Yes. Andrew thrives on instructions. Uh, I can't pay attention to instructions. I lose count of how many cups I've measured out. I don't like it. I like cooking. So when someone's like, Oh, uh, you know, we're making lasagna for, for Christmas. And my sister's like, well, how long does it have to be in the oven? And I was like, until it's done. And she doesn't like that. You know, I don't either. (laughs) So I can't cook like that. That's not how I cook. Yeah. My mom will be like, yeah, I just made this. And I subbed this out for this and I did this and it turned out pretty good. And I'm like stressed out listening to her. I'm like, I can't do that. Like I need to have a plan. I need to know. So yes, I get 100% where you're going with that. And that's, yeah, that's how my brain works. Well, I think that's why like cooking is daunting initially because you don't have the experience to work off of. So you just Mm -hmm. don't know like what's good and bad. That's the nice thing about composting is that like very quickly you're going to gain some experience. And that's why you'll feel comfortable posting on the internet, your preferred ratio of greens versus browns (laughs) and feel empowered to be disagreement with every other website that's in disagreement with each other. Yeah. So it's low bar. You got it. I promise. Yeah. And I really feel like those, those were the big two for me that were concerning in terms of the the challenges, the the smell and the pests and that, but yeah, really overcoming that, that sort of mindset. So the next one is more of a practical thing that was maybe a hang up for me, just in terms of the fact that I live by myself and I don't necessarily cook that much as we were just talking about. I was like, and do I even have enough stuff Mm -hmm. to be able to compost? Is this going to be effective for me? And so again, this was just sort of me just letting go a little bit. Like it's okay if I don't start composting tomorrow, like I, I can take some time and come like compost when I can, this doesn't have to be you know, an all or nothing, all of the time I can put stuff out when I have materials and I can hold stuff back if I don't have enough materials to put out there. So again, just sort of going with the flow a little bit is helpful, but I also, since I have now been collecting things, I don't really feel like this is going to be a concern for me. The materials 
are there when you start looking for them. You know, I already, even just the little food scraps that I have, I've been busy lately. So I haven't been preparing my food as much. Like I have leftover frozen pizza for dinner tonight. So, but, but the little things that, you know, my apple cores from my lunches and, you know, the ends of my celery, like the, the things are starting to add up already, which is great. I also, another reason I'm excited to compost is because I think it is going to help spur on some other changes for me, which is feeling more comfortable buying more produce, buying more fruits and vegetables, which is a hard thing for me because I live by myself and things go bad so quickly. And that's not to say that I want to buy things with the intention of letting them go bad and and composting them, but it is going to be nice to know now that I have that option, if things do go bad, that I'm not going to be just sending this stuff to landfill. Yeah. The consequences of making like, and, and all of these things are things you don't have to feel really, you shouldn't feel bad about buying in the first place. Like these are things that are good for you. Mm -hmm. You should feel empowered, but yeah, absolutely. Even there's three of us that live in this house right now. Things go bad all the time, partially because we're bad at planning. Maybe that would be my (laughs) sustainable swap. If I could snap my fingers, I'd Mm. be like great at eliminating food waste and planning things better. But, uh, so yeah, the, there are lower consequences to you not eating that whole bag of apples, even though, Hey, maybe you want to buy individual little apples. They're always big. I don't know. Like, yeah. (laughs) Um, that was one of the motivations for us is we have turtles they eat lettuce and other greens. And all of a sudden you have so much every week leftover greens that are just not suitable really for them to eat. And now we have some place to put them. We don't have to feel bad about that. Yeah. So I, I, I'm excited for it to have that, that kind of secondary benefit for me, but it, it just getting back to the food scrap part of it, those, those things are adding up for me faster than I thought they were. And I was also nervous about being able to collect the browns because you find those lists of your brown materials on the internet and they're like sawdust and straw. And I'm like, where am I going to get sawdust? But I, I have palm branches fallen from my tree and the, and those things are huge, man. I got to figure out how to break them down, but that'll last me forever. And then I've got my paper towel rolls or toilet paper rolls, I guess, and chewy box paper that I can shred up. And oh, yeah. I have so much brown material collected already. I mean, I'm going to be able to fill my bin. I'm pretty confident fairly quickly after I get it set up. So I really think that if you make the choice to start composting, you are going to be able to find those materials. Again, if you are still concerned about that and, or you live in a place that does not have that outdoor space or something like that, we did mention those alternatives last time we mentioned vermicompost which is worms. And you can have that indoor worm bin. You just put your food scraps directly in there. You don't really have to worry about those brown materials. So if you're just looking to get rid of your food scraps, really think about something like that. I, 
I'm not going to start vermicomposting right now, but I am not saying no <laughs> to trying that sometime down the line too. So think about that. There are also some other alternatives that we didn't mention last time that I'll try to touch on before we end this episode as well. But don't let those materials be a barrier to you. Just allow yourself to take some time and collect them before you get started, if that'll make you feel better. So then this last sort of question or concern that I have on here is not one really that applies to me anymore. Although it did for the past few years, it was something that could have been a concern, but it's not actually one that I had thought too much about until now. Casey, you mentioned you just had your first kind of snow, lots of winter weather there right now. Do you compost in the winter time and how do you do that? Yes, we compost in the wintertime, um, even when we don't want to trudge out in the snow, <laughs> we'll do it. I mentioned last time that we do basically cold composting where it's not about like creating huge batches and heat and a timeline, like cold composting takes a long time anyway. And we're not so concerned about the byproduct, which is usable compost for gardens, even though that would be wonderful. It's much more for us about reducing, uh, food waste. And so it'll sit in the pile and it's not going to break down nearly as quickly, but it's going into the right place. And then when spring comes around and it gets a little bit warmer, it'll start doing its thing again. So if, if you're someone who's like, I am using, I am doing this specifically so I can get the maximum amount of compost out of my garden or for my garden, like you're going to come across some issues in the winter if you live in, <laughs> um, you live in a place like where I live, which is temperate and gets snow, but also you're not gardening then. So right. I think it's fine. Yeah, it <laughs> I is have so, no issues. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely seems to be, again, from those composting folks on the internet, it's not a problem. You you can add stuff to your pile. You don't have to add stuff. If you prefer not to, to trudge out there, you can just kind of insulate your compost bin. Things are going to slow down. If you do have a a bin or a pile that's big enough and is heating up in the in the middle stuff might start to or continue breaking down in the middle it's not going to completely stop unless the whole thing freezes over but you can insulate it with like bags of leaves or something like that putting bags of leaves around your pile to help insulate it but if you are putting stuff out in the winter time some suggestions for you are to have some of your brown material stockpiled. So maybe that is those deadfall leaves that you can add to your pile. So when you are putting out those food scraps, again, you have some brown material to go with them and bury them in. Also, hooray, do not turn your compost pile. If you're, if you're turning your pile, especially if you're doing that hot composting. Don't do that in the winter because you're going to actually cause it to lose its heat. Things are going much, much slower in the winter time. So losing that oxygen isn't as much of a concern. So you don't have to turn that pile. I personally, from down here in relatively warm Florida, would not hold it against you if you chose not to continue adding to your pile over the winter. So again, really whatever floats your boat, but you can add things to your compost pile over the winter. The last thing I wanted to do real quick before we wrap up was this was a question that was posed to me a while ago that I'd kind of forgotten about, but I thought was interesting. 
is if I'm if you're not sure you want to dive into composting yet, but you want to do something about your food scraps. So this is a little bit tangential, but I thought interesting to talk about. What about just putting my food scraps down the garbage disposal? Is that better? Is that worse than just sending them to the landfill? You're making a great face. What's the face about, Casey? We never had a garbage disposal growing up. It always seemed disgusting to me, partially because it, it like, I don't know. I, I don't actually know how they work. So it seems sort of like magic or, and, or just like, I don't know, gross food slushies going down your drain pipes. That sounds like, it's just so gross to me. I, mean, I don't like washing dishes. So maybe that's like that's part true. of my thing. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I, we've had a garbage disposal for a lot of my life at least. So I'm pretty used to them. So, so this was an interesting one to me. Now, obviously right off the bat, it's not going to give you the same soil benefits that we talked about with composting. So you're not going to sort of, or, or those, that kind of satisfaction of seeing that process take place. But just in terms of solving the food waste portion of it, again, we talked about sending those food scraps to a landfill when they break down there, it causes the methane release, which is what one of the things that we're trying to avoid here. So there are varying thoughts, surprise, surprise, on the eco-friendliness of garbage disposals. Hey, if you talk to somebody from the garbage disposal industry, they say it's good. Um, they do talk about it as a way to avoid that methane production, avoid sending it to the landfill. But what I gathered is that it really does depend on where you live and your the wastewater system in your area. So it sounds like when you put these things down the garbage disposal, that debris is going to get captured at a wastewater treatment facility, and then it might get sent to a landfill. Or it could be sent to some places have these anaerobic digestion facilities, which that sounds gross to me. But uh, apparently what they do is turn this material into energy. Don't know too much about that process, but that's going to be more likely the case only if you are around a big city. So think New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, those types of places might have that available to them. I feel like the anaerobic digestion facility is like when in Star Wars and the original trilogy, they go down that like pipe into <laughs> that room. That's like the garbage compressor. And there's like a animal that lives in there somewhere. Is that what he does? Is that what the creature does? And probably. Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of an anaerobic digestion facility, you don't know what the creature really is. Like it's pretty much covered. So, well, that's, not what I thought of, but I like that a whole lot better. Um, that makes it seem more fun to me. I did also read that garbage disposals might actually be detrimental in areas that are dealing with high nitrogen concentration in their waterways or areas that are experiencing, obviously that's coming from, again, we talked about our food scraps as being those nitrogen rich materials. So that's obviously compounding the problem. And then as well as areas that are experiencing water shortages because of the amount of water needed to move debris through the system. So I guess just be aware of those maybe potential situations in your area, but I didn't really see it as a clear benefit either way. So I don't think you need to stop. I think your garbage disposal is a fine thing to do. I don't think you need to stop using your garbage disposal for the most part, but I don't think it has benefits that composting does. 
if you're yeah. just looking to avoid that methane production, it's probably fine, but it has other concerns. Depends as well. on where you yeah. <laughs> yeah, are. Well, I think like when I, I think about this too, we're composting plant-based materials most of the time. And in nature, plants naturally in the wintertime kind of die back, decompose. We have decomposers as part of that system. Um, not a lot of it gets like ground up and sent down the river, like some of it, but, um, composting is generally like, uh, to me as close to a natural process as we could Mm -hmm. probably have in a system where we have industrial agriculture. So that's one of the reasons I prefer it. And we talked about that satisfaction and also like the, like just being present and in tune with how this natural process is happening to me is, um, Definitely takes a lot more work than putting things down at garbage disposal. Yeah. Again, still gross to me, but <laughs> but uh, doesn't have that satisfaction for sure. Yeah. And I should say, like that that question didn't come up from trying to say, like, is this as good as composting? Yeah. It came up from is this better than just throwing my food scraps mm, away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so that that was more where that question came from. So so that's what I got for you on that. Moral of the story here in terms of composting. Please don't feel like you have to have it all figured out to start composting. Problems are going to be fixable. You're going to learn more as you do it. Just jump in and go for it. If you're still not quite ready to do that, there are things that you can do to sort of take baby steps into that direction. Um, My cousin Daniel, hi, thanks for listening, um, mentioned that he does things like he'll use cardboard as a weed barrier in the ground, which is uh, definitely an option that you can use. And over time, that cardboard is going to break down and uh, put things back into the soil. There's also something called trench composting that I don't, we might've briefly mentioned last time. I actually can't remember, but trench composting is basically digging a hole in the ground or a trench potentially alongside where you're going to be planting things and just putting those food scraps right into the ground and burying them. If that's something that would work for you, you can give that a try. Long story short, regardless of where you live, what type of outdoor space you have, what kind of time, what kind of energy you have to put in this, I really do believe there is something out there that will work for you. And hopefully these episodes have given you something to think about, maybe gotten you excited about this, answered some questions that you might have about it. And hopefully some of you out there are going to give this a shot with me. Casey, anything to add before we wrap up? Do it. I'm <laughs> posting. Just do it. Just do it. Just try it. If you need to start with a recipe, great, but then you're going to be a, a master chef of compost and you're going to be good at it. And it is as I've said many times, just the, one of the most satisfying, sustainable things that I've done. It doesn't require purchase for most people. It doesn't require additional consumption. It's about reducing our footprint and adding kind of natural processes. So I'm a big fan if it, that hasn't been clear. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for sharing how it's worked for you over the years too, Casey. Appreciate your insight and everybody stick around. We'll be back with your challenge for the week in just a moment.
All right. Thanks so much for listening tonight, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the episode. I did, before we issue the challenge, I just wanted to give one more quick note on something that we talked about in our intro to composting. We mentioned those electric quote unquote composters, things that are going to break down food scraps for you. I was going to try to look at a little more into the energy consumption of of those things because that was one of our concerns about them. It's obviously going to depend on which one you choose. I was reading about the Vitamix food cycler. They say that their device uses about the same amount of power as running a desktop computer for the equivalent amount of time. So a little comparison for you. And I did find one blog article and I did not, my brain couldn't handle it. (laughs) So I don't know how accurate all of it is, but uh, one article that I can, I'll link to in our episode description that says that this would still be a net reduction in emissions compared to sending that food waste to a landfill. Obviously not as much as if you were composting it, but it it could still potentially be beneficial if that is something that you have been thinking about. So just wanted to give you that little piece of information. And with that said, we'll go into our challenge for the week. And my challenge for you is to show us your compost. So I'll ask you to to share a photo of whatever you've got. Maybe you've got some finished compost where you live. Maybe you have got uh, your food scraps that you're just starting to collect. Maybe you have a pile started or your compost bin. Whatever it is, if you are participating, if you are a composter, we want to see what's your system, what's your setup like. We can learn and get best tips and tricks from each other. So take a photo. Show us your compost, tag us, let us know what you're doing, and I will do the same. Yes, Sarah, we want to see your Tumblr. Well, thanks for hosting this series on composting. Sarah, I'm excited to see what your journey brings for you. Um, If our folks want to reach us, if they want to tell us about their compost bin or, um, or tell us what we should talk about next, how can they do that? We've got a few ways. If you are on Facebook, just search for a little greener podcast. We're trying to post more regularly there, but if you send us a message or whatever, we will see it. You can also find us on Instagram at a little greener pod. And if you would like to email us, you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. I know uh, each one of your hours of the day is precious to you and i'm glad that you're filling your ears with us so thanks so much we really appreciate it Um, we'll talk to you next week 